The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Uh, my guest this week is Hal Crawford. He is the first third time folder, foldy. Hal is a good friend of mine and one of my favorite people to talk about the media with. He was the head of News Hub uh, for three or four years uh, until a couple of years ago when he moved back to his uh, native Australia and he now works as a consultant. He's got a fantastic media podcast, pains me to say it, might be better than this. Uh, Don't tell anyone I said so, uh, called Crawford Media and there's a related sub stack. Uh, It's very much focused on the Australian media, but it also has a bit of a global lens, definitely worth checking out. He is also someone who has been thinking about social media, particularly Facebook and its relationship with traditional media for many years. In fact, as long ago as 2014, he wrote a book or or co-authored a book called All Your Friends Like This uh, on that topic, which really delved into his experiences running uh, Microsoft, uh, sorry, 9MSN, which was uh, then, I think, Australia's biggest news site and the various kind of experiments that they were able to run there and what they learned from that. He's also interesting because despite being a journalist, he's at worst agnostic on Facebook. I think there's a general sense among journalists focused on technology now that there's a sort of a a race to describe Facebook in the most apocalyptic terms uh, and a real focus on the sort of the negatives of it. And Hal's not like that. Hal basically believes that it is a very interesting and place that could be could be improved but that certainly isn't uh, anything like the the bad the, the the almost wholly bad actor that it's presented as the the thing that we start off talking about is probably the the quintessential contemporary example of framing facebook in in a a negative way um, which is called the Facebook Files. He and I probably disagree on the Facebook Files. They were published by the Wall Street Journal based on a whole trove of leaked internal Facebook uh, research and, and communications, and it showed some some pretty bad stuff. I think it was materially bad enough. It certainly had a lot of news value. I also tend to agree with Hal that it was framed and cherry-picked in a way that made Facebook look worse uh, than it is. And that's really what we we sort of discussed today is is really what to do with Facebook, whether anything can be done, whether it needs regulation. I mean, it is actually currently asking for regulation, so it's not like this is um, just a couple of journalists having a think about it. And also, if you were to try and regulate it, what how how would you do that in a way that sort of felt like it? addressed the issues without breaking the product and didn't sort of tamper with with um you know the way that we treat free speech in other areas honestly i feel like i'm making it sound really boring but i I just don't think it is and particularly towards the end we get into some of the the how you might do it and and what, what what the difference between you know facebook the publisher and facebook the carrier i.e facebook as you know, sitting in this incredibly profitable hinterland between a publisher like the spin-off and 
a telco-like spark and how you can kind of force it to assume some of the some more responsibilities of the publisher and to behave more like a carrier and and whether there is something in that and and it feels like we get somewhere uh, as always the fold is brought to you by Vodafone with world-class network technology that the spin-off relies on, uh, you could not pick a better provider for your uh, internet services as a business. This is Hal Crawford on The Fold. Uh, kia ora, Hal, and welcome back to The Fold. Third time. Thanks, Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Am I, is this, does this make me the most folded person of all time yeah i think if we continue to fold you you'll we'll have be able to get to the moon or whatever that weird stat is about an a4 sheet of paper no the, you're, you're definitely our most folded guest and and rightly so um i know i've got you on today because i wanted to talk to you about facebook which is a platform you have written a book about and and i think it fascinates and kind of it's endlessly fascinating to the pair of us, and I think you're one of the most thoughtful people on it. And uh, it's obviously been it's, – it's had a huge flare-up uh, lately, which it has periodically uh, in the Facebook files. I just wondered if you could start by just telling us what you thought of them. Yeah, yeah. Look, honestly, I didn't like the Facebook files much. Uh, I, th- I thought that the Wall Street Journal was, was going at it with a real lack of objectivity. Um, and they sort of brought a bit of a religious zeal to the way they interpreted the material. Um, that doesn't mean there was nothing significant in the leaked documents, but I had to sort of use my own judgment and sort of almost sort of look through the material to find out what I thought was significant in the in the leaked documents. Um, because I, I just you just I felt that you couldn't take the Wall Street Journal at at face value. Um, which is a shame, um, but then you've got to remember that the Wall Street Journal is a news corporation um, publication, and the, the and news corporation really has been campaigning uh, against Facebook for some time. Yeah, so so yeah, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it too much as a piece of journalism. I didn't like it um, as an interesting set, a data set. Loved it. I mean, what what I thought was really significant in the revelations were. The fact that Facebook is allowing dangerous research to go on within uh, within the company, and it's allowing dangerous presentations, and I mean dangerous in the in the sense of dangerous to the health of the company, it's allowing those dangerous presentations to circulate, uh, and so I think you could see that as brave or arrogant or you know perhaps deluded. Uh, I think I, I tend toward the latter. I think. Uh, it's something that Facebook can't continue to do, if if and and won't continue to do. Uh, in terms of the content of the of the revelations, if you want to call them revelations, I think it was significant that there was a, or probably has been an increase in divisive content on Facebook following the twenty eighteen algorithm change. That feels real to me, um, but yes, yeah, so that's kind of. That to me that that's the big that's the big one. Uh, the the science about uh, impact of Instagram on teenagers, for example, I thought was rubbish. Um, but I, rubbish yeah. isn't just sort of junk science. Yeah, kind of it wasn't to- science. It was focus group stuff. Um, you know, it was it was online surveys and focus groups, and I think the people tasked with making those presentations had been tasked with challenging the company and finding harm and I didn't I didn't like that stuff at all I mean one thing that that you've said to me in the past and I found quite compelling is this idea that you know Facebook should be a researcher's paradise and that it that it has the potential to give us enormous insights into kind of human mass human psychology and behavior that could be profoundly beneficial to you know to, to researchers and, and kind of you know potentially even improve the lot of of humanity where where it which doesn't feel like something the company is particularly engaged in 
doing. In fact, the reason, half the reason the Facebook files were so interesting was because there is so little internal Facebook data and thinking that ever does make its way to the public in any kind of, um, you know, relatively unconstrained way. You know, do, do you, there, there is this general school of thought that what Facebook needs, what this has revealed is that Facebook needs to do more research and be more kind of systematic and transparent with the release of it. Would, would you go along with that? I, I think that would be immeasurably valuable if that would happen. But, you know, you can see from the way that this has played out that everything is, is working against that conclusion. So this is going to uh, incentivize them to shut research down Every time that there's been a revelation about a piece of research uh, that that has occurred in, within Facebook over the past decade, um, Facebook has been conditioned to shut that down. You know, I think I can't remember the the exact year, but there was the emotional contagion research. Um, that where, was the one where where they basically sort of tried to find out whether they could make their yeah. users feel bad. Yeah, they did. Uh, and that was the most wonderful research and it just got absolutely hammered and, you know, there was all this uh, hoo-ha about doing experiments on people as if we're not experimenting on people 24-7. Um, and, you know, high high state of indignance, you know, indignancy, what, if that's a word. But, you know, they had proved there that emotional contagion was a thing. And this is absolutely fascinating. You know, the updates that you make, if you include certain down words, then the people that you communicate those words to are, are inclined to be more down. And that, that just sort of demonstrated the immense power of this platform. And it was the beginning of the Facebook research shutdown, really. So, uh, yeah, so, so I think you're right. I think I still believe that Facebook represents the biggest opportunity to understand humanity that we've had to date. I think it's incredibly, the potential is incredibly um, just mind-blowing uh, and I don't think we're going to get it. And the reason we're not going to get it is that um, it would be absolute suicide for the company to expose itself to that kind of scrutiny. I want to return to that later on because I'm not sure that we agree on that. But I want to kind of, in some ways, get away from the abstract of what Facebook could be into the very present, what what is happening to it. Because I think there's an interesting thing, and you touched on it there, where you know the, the, the media's relationship to Facebook and the way that it reports on it, it feels quite different to the way it you know, reports on other large companies because there is some kind of tension there. And and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. But I guess the, the first thing is to um, ask you whether you agree with um, Casey Newton, you know, the, the Substack ex-verge journalist who now has a Substack, that this, that this feels different to other sort of kind of Facebook conflagrations uh, that, that the company might actually be forced to move or that legislation could could finally get rolling at the back of it. Yeah, I think it, it, it feels different in, in, to, to, in a matter of degree. I don't think it, it's a matter of kind. I don't, I don't think there is some uh, inherent flavour in the, in the latest scandal, if you want to call it a scandal, uh, that is different. I just think it's more intense and, and there is no doubt that we're approaching a kind of juncture um, and th this is a juncture where there is absolutely no story that is written about Facebook that doesn't have them cast in the role of villain. That's that's how the story is now. Um, and, you know, the, the old stories about, you know, the wonders of tech and, you know, the, the sprightly young uh, company that is doing amazing things, they're all gone. We're, we're past that stage. And now we're into the stage where, Everything that Facebook does is evil. Um, so now that we're in that stage, the question is, well, what, what happens? Um, so there is some kind of unstoppable momentum to do something about Facebook. Um, and probably that will take a really superficial form. Uh, well, it seems like a superficial form, but, you know, 
the great signal of change would be for uh, Zuckerberg to step down uh, or for Sandberg to step down or for both of them to go. And I don't think that will solve any of these really big, deep problems that we have with digitally mediated communications and, and social networks, but it will be the public sacrifice that the story demands. And and that public sacrifice will also correspond with face, uh, Facebook becoming a lot more boring. And when a company is boring, it might be doing all the damage that it used to do, but it will just go unremarked. I mean, I wonder about that because, I, like, I guess that that is the, the the huge question that looms over all of this, right? Like, is is Facebook just fundamentally ungovernable? Um, like, is there no way of disentangling the good of instant global communication uh, that it brings with it uh, from the all of the bad stuff which happens on Facebook? Or, or is there a future where it is more, whether it's more highly re- regulated or whether it gets a handle on some of its issues, is, is there a, a future where it can do the good with less of the harm? And I, you know, I'm a sort of techno-optimist, a Facebook optimist. I, I, I happen to think that, you know, I, was, I spoke to Colin Gavahan, who's a professor um, in emerging technology at the University of Otago, who talked about the need for a, a, prof- a massive growth in and a professionalization of the moderator class, which I think is probably inevitable and not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's unnatural for a company at the scale of Facebook with the issues that Facebook places to that has to have a profit margin of 35 40% can you know consistently uh, over a, a period of, of years you know where which where fundamentally so much of it does feel solvable and i think you're right in the sense that um, this thing does feel quite personal between the news media and, and Mark Zuckerberg and, and to a certain extent Sheryl Sandberg as COO. But I think also, you know, you see it in terms of the emphasis of him. Like right now, I think it's kind of fairly hard to argue that the CEO should be very fixated on getting anti-vax content under control on his platform. And yet his statements through the middle of the year were around the metaverse and about these new kind of AR Ray-Bans. And it is a, it is a, there is a sense that his preoccupation, that, that bores him now. The idea of fixing the current state of the platform bores him, whereas the exciting thing is, is the new and that, uh, that there is something that sort of feels like it could be solved in there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, 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 at the very start of what you were just saying then, you, you mentioned that, um, that the question is, are these problems particular to Facebook or are they universal to digital digital networks? Uh, and I, I, I tend to uh, go to the latter. Uh, I think they're universal. There is one really important specific thing about Facebook that we need to take into account and that is that it's advertising funded. And the advertising model always has two heads or two faces. You know, I think two faces is a better analogy because, you know, that's a, an expression to indicate a, a kind of deception. The problem with advertising, um, it doesn't always involve deception, but the problem with advertising is that there's this dual nature to the business. On one hand, you've got users or the audience, and on the other hand, you've got customers or advertisers. And your real, the source, uh, the source of health for your company is both of them. And you have to work out how to balance those, those poles. And, um, you know, while there is uh, an advertising model, Facebook will always be incentivized uh, to increase engagement. Uh, and 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 to make sure engagement is healthy in their audience, because that's the source of their wealth. And it is nigh on; it's unrealistic to ask a company to completely ignore their own self interest. That's just not how things work. But is it is it self interest still? Like at a certain point, when you're when people use your platform, they feel bad. When your numbers are starting to trail away, when you're getting hauled before Congress, when a lot of the media is lined up against you, 
at, at a certain point, your self-interest and the interests of your audience aligns and that there is a good financial incentive to sort of clean up your platform, oh, you, yeah. would, you would think. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing that's been sort of mystifying about this, right? Yeah, not, no, I don't think so. I mean, the complexity of the task shouldn't be underestimated and and the, the balances that have to be struck, even, even between what, you know, I, I don't think that we should be simplistic about assuming that we know how to do this or the right way to do it because in all cleaning up or regulating or locking down, there are trade-offs, you know. Zuckerberg has been pretty consistently a small L liberal in that he is he is wanting not to to be the censor. Uh, you know, it was only last year that they banned Holocaust denial from the from the platform, for example. And I'm not saying that's because he's a great guy. I'm saying it, it, it might be he might be a great guy. I have no idea, but um, it's saying that that has been the public position of the company for business reasons. And, and those reasons are that the closer it becomes to a publisher moderating and choosing what content to publish, the the more fragile its business model because it can't be responsible for everything that happens on Facebook. Do you mean that because of Section 230 or because of the, just the sheer volume that it requires? Yeah, because of the sheer volume. So, you know, there that the, the business model of massive engagement um, is not compatible with moderation of every piece of that content. It just isn't. And um, and it's not responsible. It's not compatible with legal responsibility for every one of those pieces of content. Um, you know, I I would argue that they need to come closer to the position of a, a publisher, and they need to accept lower profit margins as they do that, and they need to accept a bigger role in society. I argue all of those things. You know, there is no point demonising Facebook when the next thing to come along will have exactly the same problems because humans are the issue here and how easy it is to manipulate us. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I suppose, you know, that, that's where I, I think there is a, you know, if this wasn't a place where Mark Zuckerberg, as well as being the CEO, also held enough preferred stock that no one can tell him how to run his company from a governance level, like I think that there, there are, you know, like I said, I think there are compelling business reasons to, to try a bit harder. The, so one of the revelations that struck me, for example, out of the Facebook files was the extent, and it wasn't challenged when I asked Facebook about this, that, uh, you know, the by, you know it's got 40,000 moderators. It sounds like a big number. They're putting it everywhere in their advertising at the moment. It's also a tiny number when you think about just how big Facebook's population is. You know, if that's the police force for their nation of three billion, they're never going to get anywhere near it. But it's more about the extent to which that is an English-speaking moderation force largely trained on America, and which is where all of the problems and the regulatory um, you know, threat is, is probably the most profound at the moment. But if you look at where its growth is, where it's... Um, you know where where the ninety percent of its population is. It's it's outside America, and you know that you know the the, the sort of fairly routine stories that you see about you know a genocide or a, a hitman or, or whatever, which on some level are I mean, they're awful. They're also repeated so many times that you get a long way distant from what actually happened. But there is like it just feels like from a pure the how do you protect the integrity of this business like working much, much harder, and not saying that it's easy, but working a lot harder on trying to make this a, a safer environment um, and would, would would benefit the company more so than, you know, putting on some new Ray-Bans. Yeah, yeah, I think, well, well would it? I mean, that, that, that's a question because you've got all of these dynamics, you know, you need to maintain forward momentum. Um, I, I agree with you, by the way, that I don't think Facebook – um, Google and a lot of the um, globally dominant digital companies are putting enough into local um, societies. And by local, I mean, you know, national societies, the societies where their audiences reside. I don't think they're contributing enough in tax and I don't think they're taking a civil load and I don't think that they're, yeah, they're just not contributing um, to those communities Uh and they remain American companies. So that, that's that's a problem. 
they they need to change that uh, if they want to avoid this kind of um, you know being cast as as the uh, villain all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, if you want to avoid being cast as a villain, trying to be slightly less villainous <laughs> would seem to help. Because the thing is, like, it, it can feel like in, unfair the extent to which that characterization takes hold. Yet, the further you get from their headquarters, the more some of the stuff that goes on quite routinely on their platforms does just look almost deliberate because it's known, it's signaled. You know, Maria Ressa just won the Nobel Peace Prize, who's, you know, in part because of her, you know, what she has been through, driven by Facebook's networks in, in the Philippines. And Facebook knows about this, and it just it doesn't rate high enough to, to be solved. Yeah. Look, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I'm not ready to, to go straight there. I, I, I'm ready to say that this, uh, the network that they have set up has a very odd place in our mental universe it is halfway publisher and it's halfway carrier halfway telecommunications carrier you know we don't expect uh anyone any sort of phone company to be responsible for the terrible things that are arranged and the crimes that are committed using their technology um on the other hand you know we have publishers and we think they're responsible for everything that they publish and they are and then in between, in this weird zone, we've got Facebook. And, you know, are they a carrier who's not responsible for the terrible crime, <laughs> crimes that are plotted on Facebook and, and facilitated by Facebook, or are they closer to a publisher? So this is where we've got to drag their sense of responsibility closer to the publisher side, demand better moderation and control, or they have to decide to become more hands-off and, you know, destroy the existing business model of Facebook, lose the walled garden approach and become an, effectively an open social network uh, and then they wouldn't be responsible for anything that happens on it. So this is, you know, this is how it goes. I, I think that um, when we call for regulation, uh, it's just the natural thing that we do, you know, they have to be more regulated. We should spend some more time thinking about what kind of regulation we're going to we're going to insist on here, because uh, it's not obvious to me how we're going to do this. One angle that is being sort of played out, or or certainly talked about in Australia at the moment, is the angle of making them legally responsible for defamatory claims. Now that would shut down the network as we know it in Australia overnight. They wouldn't be able to operate. So it's kind of like, okay, well, if we want to do that, let's work out how we can do that and keep the network up. Um, so those kinds of things, uh, I think taxation or some kind of um, licensing fee would be really important here um, so that we can take you know shave off some of those profit margins and return them to the communities in which they operate i actually want to talk to you about that that decision i mean australia australia really has been the you know a, a kind of a frontier state in, in trying to regulate facebook in multiple ways this year so we'll take a quick break and come back to you to to talk about that that landmark uh ruling recently we're back with Hal Crawford on the fold. Perhaps you could start by explaining to our listeners what happened recently on, on, on defamation and and how that's sort of landed amongst uh, you know the the news publishers and and Facebook itself over there. Yeah, the this isn't exactly the same as the uh, the, the issue I mentioned before the break. This is uh, the the, def the defamation uh, case that you're referring to is one where the High Court, Australia's highest court, um, which is called the High Court, uh, decided that publishers were responsible for third party comments on Facebook posts, and you know that's a phrase that I've practiced. Obviously, I can just trot it out, but what it means is that if uh, if I publish a news article and I, and I post the link to that on Facebook and then along comes Duncan and, you know, writes an, an abhorrent uh, comment uh, without my knowledge or approval at the bottom of that post, 
then I am legally responsible for Duncan's abhorrent um, post and I can be sued for defamation for that. So that is, to me, when I first heard that decision, I thought it was crazy time. I thought, what what madness is this? What has the High Court done? Um, and I delved into it um, and I noted that two of the High Court justices uh, didn't agree and they were the youngest two High Court judges. So that's an interesting observation. But the majority um, were actually just being totally consistent with defamation law as it exists in Australia right now. And the Australian defamation law is very similar to New Zealand defamation law. Um, you know, they both stink. Um, and uh, so so the, 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 they were being entirely consistent and the problem lies in how defamation works uh, in both, uh, both of our countries at the moment where the power lies... Uh, where power has always lied with the, the people with lots of money and connections. And um, sometimes that favours news publishers and very often it doesn't. So, um, yeah, look, that's what what's changing in Australia over the last couple of weeks is some comments by the Prime Minister that maybe if Facebook doesn't get its act together, that we might just legislate and decide that Facebook... Uh, is actually responsible for the defamatory con- con- content. You know, publishers could still be co- responsible as well. But at the moment, no one's or very few people are is suing Facebook for allegedly defamatory comments that are posted. Uh, and, you know, if that changes, then the entire dynamic changes. That's what's sort of interesting to me. And, and you know, I, I was surprised to find out that... Uh you know, when I interviewed Colin Gavahan, that there wasn't a Section 230 equivalent in New Zealand. We've just sort of taken it um, upon ourselves to, to just assume that that it is more of the neutral carrier than it is the publisher, despite in some ways it has all of the benefits of being the, the neutral carrier and all of the profits of, of being a publisher. And you know, obviously that's... that's great. What- I think that's a great point. I think you put that really well. It's, 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 you know, exploiting the benefits of carrierness uh, and, it, 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 and uh, it, it's not paying the price of, of, of being a publisher. So, um, yeah, there's, there's an inconsistency, inconsistency there. And I think that's the, the tension. And, and it's, you know, on some level it, it has kind of alluded to the, how difficult this all is with the creation of its, uh, you know, oversight board which seems, you know, I, people have have their different views on this, but I think it's a, a relatively sincere attempt to try and get a, a body of people to rule on some of these these knotty issues. But I think, you know, as, as when I, I interviewed Colin, he you know he pointed out that there is there are sort of enormous globally significant rulings that that it, that board might have the capacity to address, and then there are just kind of ordinary working moderation hell, you know, whether it's uh, breaking su- suppression orders or, um, you know, murder videos, what, whatever kind of horrible things um, that the company will need to get onto and get on, onto fast and uh, delete. And then there's this big layer in between, which probably requires a lot more thought and care that will inevitably be expensive. And that this is where it comes back to taxation about... You know that it's shown it hasn't shown a willingness to, and probably doesn't really. You know, you, you wouldn't as a as a country want uh, want it to set up its own tribunals. Uh, you know, you'd actually want them to be kind of neutral. But they, it certainly is profitable enough to to fund them, and that's where some of these these complexities can be. You know, could potentially be examined, and ultimately, then you have the opportunity to kind of debate them. And I think that that's. The thing that's missing right now is that, yeah, you know, we can have as many kind of wonkish, you know, discussions about this, but it's fall it, podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we could do it every week, but it's just so far away and feels so ungovernable. Yet its impacts are so local. You know, we've got a piece coming, uh, which will have been published by now about you know the the anti-vaxxer community, and right through it is th- this thing. It either starts on Facebook or it's a conversation, yeah. and then they go to Facebook to find out more. Yeah, and these are these have huge externalities. 
Let, let's have a talk about the anti-vax thing because, you know, this is, this is a good little internal test for you and I because I am so opposed to anti-vax content and anti-vax thinking and, you know, rooted in conspiracy theories that are just like mental delusions that, you know, appeal to people for the worst possible reasons. But that urge to ban anti-vax content is, is problematic it, it's problematic because you're placing yourself as the arbiter of truth. And, you know, we know that the anti-vax stuff is wrong. We know that it's damaging. But you've got to decide, and this is the classic free speech thing, at what point, you know, is our speech not free? And, you know, Zuckerberg and Facebook have always erred on the side of let's, let's keep it free because we don't know what truth is. Except have they? I mean, as you referred to earlier, they, they, they have decided that a Holocaust denial is is no longer a, a form of protected yeah. speech. Yeah, and so they're you know, slipping. They're slipping. They, they <laughs> they're, are slipping. They're, and, and they're, go- they're like a man uh, on a cliff, and that you know, they're, they're, there's only a few fingers left. Well, that's exactly right. And yeah. and yeah, you know, Google has made the call with YouTube that it's just taking anti-vax content off. Hasn't really given a strong intellectual yeah. justification. It's mainly yeah. just a commercial one. And I, I guess but that that's- you know, you know what? Let, let me challenge you. I look. I just think. It's not about when we agree on stuff that, you know, that we're challenged in our beliefs on freedom of speech. It's when we don't agree. And there could be nothing that I disagree with more than anti-vax content. I mean, it is abhorrent. And yet, I don't want to ban it. I don't, I don't want to say, you know, stupid people are the problem. Not, you but, know, but it's... But, but I mean, that can be true, and yet you've got vulnerable people, let's, let's call them, who, are, who encounter that content just, in the, just while living their, their best Facebook lives, who are then, you know, the platform radicalizes them. Charlie Mitchell had a terrific piece for Stuff, which sort of examined that um, a couple of months ago. I guess the thing that, which I come back to on this, is the, it's the one-to-many thing. You know, with, with the... With the telephone, your calls are one-to-one. And with, you know, even with mail, you can go one-to-many and the, the, the carrier just genuinely, like, it's illegal. It's mail fraud. You can't tamper with mail. Like, and, then, and then there is a real hard cost about distribution and there are sort of certain, you know, it's a, it's a highly regulated industry. Mm. And I think the mm. fact that, you know, that, that feels, that that is the characteristic of a publisher, right? Like, it's a... It's, a, it's either a single person or a small group of people speaking to a much larger one, and that's why we historically considered it to be important enough that we would regulate it. And with Facebook, the default having default public settings, having default wide uh, distribution, and you know having in fact an algorithm that naturally uh, privileges and and uh, you know more widely distributes. Uh, highly engaging content, mm. which quite often is uh, content yeah. that that has that controversy. You know, it it does feel on some level like it's an engineering problem because yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. It's an engineering problem. I agree, and I think that if we look at regulation, think about regulation, and and I'm just going to step away from my sort of laissez-faire thing here. I'm not I'm not laissez-faire. I just want to know how to regulate effectively, and perhaps what you're indicating, like some sort of limit on the amount of people in the network or the, the, the amount of recipients of a, of, a, of a message, you know, slowing down transmission is really important. And, um, you know, what we've seen are accelerants. What we've seen with the 2018 algorithm change in Facebook is that divisive content has is, is probably been favoured because, you know, it always was favoured. You know, back in, we've done a whole bunch of research. We found that partisan content has always been encouraged and, and facilitated on Facebook. And, you know, these appeals to group identity, whether you're a dog owner or a cyclist or whatever, and it always does better if you're like, you know, if you rubbish the other side, appeal to group identity and arouse emotions. Anger is probably one of your most surefire emotions. 
but you know, wild elation can also work really well. So these things are just engineering principles. And if we want to install some dampers in the system, we're going to have to regulate the dampers that we ins- that that we install because Facebook is incentivized to engage. It's it's difficult to ask it, and it, and, and we can't trust it to ask it to do it itself. So how are we going to regulate it so that we don't get these breakaway, um, you know, virtual mobs uh, and and you know and and poor thinking uh, and and divisiveness being encouraged? Yeah, and that, I guess that's what I come down to. And I think because that's a that's a technical challenge, and because they are, you know, on some level, understandably very uh, loath to explain what what is in the black box of the algorithm, both because it's professionally important to them and because it's then becomes gameable you know this feel that feels like the discussion we don't have when you know when they move to the to to limiting distribution of content which was in some ways a a way of you know when you start to pay to have to boost your posts and so on uh you that was also part of the the moment when you you just the, you change the incentives on what you put out there. But if there were just more natural breaks, like it, it always just you know a recent example that that still blows my mind is uh, the way that anti-vax mobs sort of stormed the prime minister's one pm press briefing. Uh, that was live streaming on Facebook as she was talking about how important it was to get vaccinated. And so you've got the spectacle of the Prime Minister's own Facebook page becoming one of the key vectors for vaccine misinformation at precisely the moment when she was trying to save lives by advocating for a vaccine. And had you had, had the algorithm been able to see that these were repetitious messages, had it been able to break limit so that those messages were only visible, only published to people who already were in a in friendships with. Right. Yeah, you know, like the, these aren't. You know, when, when you think about it in the the broader sense, it seems impossible. When you imagine it in a specific case example, you're like, well, that's you know, you even the New Zealand government could say to Facebook, "Here's a thing you need to do." And yeah, it's not that hard to to, to no, solve. I think no. So so one thing that's happened, uh, Duncan, is that. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has, and I keep saying Zuckerberg like I'm some sort of bloody fanboy. I'm not at all. Um, but Zuckerberg, it is a bit of a cult uh, in that respect. And, and you know, just a side point here. And I would not be surprised. I mean, I know he's got all the voting power and all of that, but I wouldn't be surprised um, to see him go. Anyway, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has been calling for regulation for some time, um, but he's he's got his four... Um, little buckets of that he wants regulation in. Now, I think that we have to reject Zuckerberg's buckets of regulation. But the point about being specific is that we have to say, okay, well, what are we going to regulate? And we don't have to do it all at once, and it doesn't have to be a perfect answer. But where a service is in a monopoly position and has become a utility like Facebook has, the, the responsibilities and, and what society can do to that utility are completely different than, you know, what it would be if it was just a tech startup. So, yes, I think so. And I think you're heading in the right direction there. Let's get really specific. Let's say, you know, there's limits on how messages go public. Uh, you know, how can you talk to your friends or can you talk to the entire Facebook universe in a post? Uh, rather than, you know, getting down to the specifics of, of banned content and moderation. So moderation you know, aside from the fact that it is incredibly unhealthy for the moderators uh, and they have to see such horrible content and, you know, it's a fundamentally negative job. It's, uh, you know, moderation is 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 not where I want to go. Um, that's not the kind of society that, that I think that we want. We just need to, you know, we've evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to have all of these social dampeners that stop us from forming mobs and going and lynching people constantly. You know, uh, you know, you will have noticed it. People are much ruder online than they ever would be to your face. And, you know, when you reply to someone who's given you a really vitriolic email or whatever, and you indicate to the person that you're a real human then the, it's amazing how many times you get the back down. 
uh, and the almost apology. So we have these in real life, we have social things that tell us not to go there. You know, all of these dampeners that say, well, you know, they don't think like I do, but that's just a person, you know, and we're not passing these hideously swift judgments on people. Uh, online, that doesn't exist. Online, we're prey to all of these kinds of gamings of our human operating system. And we need to reinstall some dampeners in that environment through regulation that uh, really, really tone it down. I couldn't put it better myself. I, I, I sort of oscillate between, you know, because you can have a conversation like this and go, oh, look, this, this stuff is hard. But it's not impossible. And I think there there is a way of designing a set of legislation that ultimately becomes a box that you can play with and that you can try something, you can give it a three-month experiment, and if it feels like it needs refining or it doesn't work, you can... You know, that is a, a, a more... A way of... It's not a natural way for us to regulate you know, the, the world that we've come from, but the world that we're going into, you know, is it feels more like, like it's engineered the same way that they are, that it's it's a regulation that can be in motion in the same way that these these companies are. That's not like a finished thought, but I guess... No, it's actually something that I started thinking about. You know, a couple of days ago, you said, hey, Hal, you want to do another podcast about Facebook? And I've been thinking about it. And I came to exactly the same conclusion, which was that the way that we develop these regulations and the way that we think about moderating Facebook and, and interfering has to be different. It has to be on a different basis. And why do we have this view that regulation should be birthed fully formed and, you know, comes is something that the parliament does and comes out in a, you know, a PDF and it's all in legalese and it's perfect. And, you know, God help us if there's a loophole in it. No, that's the wrong way of thinking. I think that we need to experiment with regulation and that sounds dangerous, but, you know, we, we need to go to these dangerous places. So let's experiment. It doesn't have to be society-wide. We have to run tests. And, you know, we have to say to Facebook, let's develop a, an ability to do regula- regulatory tests, experiments, uh, and then we'll see how they work. And, and it won't be perfect, but we'll learn. And, and then when we're ready... We'll, we'll pass those regulations into law. Yeah, and that, that's kind of where I get to. I think if we could sort of turn down the heat, I, I tend to agree with your thesis that the the media, and I include myself in this at times, can often, you know, th- there was that amazing, you know, Atlantic headline recently, you know, Facebook is a, is a hostile, um, you know, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but basically it was a, it was a nation state that is almost at war with with America. Mm. It was a brilliant d- piece d- of framing, but it didn't right. really st- yeah. prove its thesis. I don't think it, it's uh, all. This is all very sorry to interrupt, but it's all very self referential, isn't it? Because uh, the, the reason that you re- read that and remember that is because it was extreme, exaggerated, and divisive. Um, just, just like the problems we're talking about. Exactly. You try and you try and write a, a reasonable assessment of Facebook, and it's. It's not going to go anywhere. So you know, the, the, believe me, I've been doing it for 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 years. <laughs> it's a do, mugs game. So do, just before you go, uh, do, are you? What do you consider yourself an optimist on this? That, that this is something that humanity will figure out, or do you think that somehow that Facebook and that social media and technology and the sort of deregulated environment that they were born into have kind of tapped into humanity's source code, and that this is part of the thing that will eventually destroy us. Where do you sit on that? Oh, you know, I, I've got to be an optimist and, you know, that's not a rational position, n- nor is being a pessimist. I, it, it, is a, it is a constitutional thing and, you know, it is also a creative thing, which is optimism says that the, 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 the way forward is more important than all the mistakes that we've made. And that is so true here, which is we've screwed up so many times, you know, with tech, um, with humanity, with societies. You know, if you've ever been close to a, a parliament, an operating parliament, I mean, your faith in humanity can be severely shaken. And this is, you know, this is not even being inside a, a tech giant or anything like that. But the optimism is th- this incredible energy to, to, to keep going forward, which is, you know, to bring, go back to those stupid Ray-Bans, 
you know, with the, the computers. I mean, how could anyone think that that's a good idea, right? That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Let's just put something on people's faces so that we don't know whether they're recording or not and they will just amplify all these problems that we've already got. But it's the energy. That's the important thing. That's the truth. It's the excitement. It's the, it's the feeling of, wow, this is something new. That's the story that I care about. You know, that, that's what's important. Yeah, we, we're always going to be in a mess. You know that. You know, you know we can't avoid ourselves. But uh, if unless you keep going forward, what are, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think you know humanity has stared down multiple very very difficult situations in the past. This is this is simply the latest, and that it uh, you know we, there's normally a lag between us sort of recognizing there's a problem and figuring out exactly what the the way through is, and you know. As, as much as this feels unsolvable right now, I don't. I don't think it is. Just before we go, uh, tell our listeners the name of your very good podcast. I, uh, Thanks, Duncan. Yes. <laughs> part of the reason I, I, I sort of got you on again was I, I listened to an episode with Benedict Evans, who writes a, a weekly newsletter or more than weekly newsletter, which I absolutely love. Is one of the smartest, most clear-eyed. Um, piece of writing on predominantly on technology regulation and media, and you had him on. It was a very good discussion, and your podcast is very good. So, yeah. So, so Crawford Media uh, is the name of the podcast, um, not imaginative, and uh, CrawfordMedia.substack.com is the is where you can subscribe to it for free. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, isn't it just so fun to talk to people, you know, and, and Benedict, I mean, my God, he had, he just went for it, didn't he? He just barely, a barely a pause for breath. Um, but you know, he is so smart and just such a big picture guy. I found out actually, Duncan, that he, uh, is a Cambridge history graduate. And then it sort of all fell into place for me as like, well, why do I really like his big picture thinking? And, you know, it's, it's because he takes this longer lens view and um, I, I should probably say wide angle view, not longer lens, but you know, it's, it's so yeah. And check it out. Please check out the podcast because, you know, it's horrible having these conversations in a vacuum. Oh, I mean, and, and honestly, anyone who's listening to this will very much enjoy, uh, enjoy the Crawford Media podcast and your Substack. Uh, thank you so much for making the time. It's always really, really fun to talk. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that the story isn't done and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. It's, uh, I feel like we've only just started, <laughs> started to get going. Oh, no, we pretty much figured it out. Wicked. <laughs> 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 All right. Kakite. Thank you, Hal. No worries, man. Kia ora e tewi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.